photographs and memories. A travel market life series sponsored by Atomize. My memory maker today is Duncan Bramwell. Duncan is Managing Director of Revenue Performance, a consultancy providing distribution and revenue management services, including complete system redesign and implementation. Duncan's expertise was gained after 11 years at IHG, where he arguably held EMEA's largest revenue management role at the time. In 2004, he set out on his own, starting as a one-man show that has since grown into a global enterprise with representatives in London, Cape Town, Dubai, Singapore and Boston. Photographs and Memories Duncan Bramwell, welcome to Photographs and Memories. Thank you very much, Michael. Great to be here. As usual, you've brought in three photographs of places that have influenced your life in some way. Uh, you've also brought in a souvenir that has a special place in your heart. But before we explore these, uh, please can you tell us how you came to work in the travel industry? Yes, um, I wasn't really given the choice. Um, I, my mother was a travel agent and I used to spend my school holidays being dragged around on hotel inspections from a young age. And I must say, I quite enjoyed that because um, we would be welcomed with open arms whenever we arrived at a hotel because they wanted to impress her. So I grew up in a world of um, presidential suites, um, being chauffeured from airports in very long cars. And for a young kid, that was great fun. Um, and similarly, my father at the time was sitting on the state president's advisory council in South Africa. Um, and one of the key initiatives that he was advising on was the development of tourism in South Africa. And as such, he then went on to um, create the Cape Town Hotel School, which is one of the three primary hotel schools in South Africa. Um, and it just so coincided that I finished my schooling at the time that he was opening his hotel school. And I think he was short on student numbers. So I was drafted in and told that's what I was going to do. Um, and I haven't been able to get out of it since. Oh, fantastic. So you were born in Zambia and raised in South Africa, uh, but you spent most of your working career in the, in the United Kingdom. Uh, why did you make the move and was it intended to be permanent? Yeah, so I, um, yeah, I've lived in the UK longer than I've lived anywhere else. So this very much feels um, home to me. Um, yet I've still got that, um, that peculiar accent, which I get mocked for quite regularly. But um, nonetheless, yes, the UK very much feels like home. Um, I originally, well, my mum is originally from Windsor um, in England, and my dad's side of the family is from Scotland. Um, so certainly um, British roots. And it was after the war that my grandfather um, came back from, from fighting. And um, at that time, you, as, a, as a returning serviceman, you were entitled to settle anywhere in the British colonies that you so uh, chose. Um, and I think after the war, he decided, look, you know, I just want to get away from Europe. I just, I just want to start fresh. Um, and he actually chose to go to Kenya, um, where um, my mum was then brought up, um, met my father. Um, they subsequently married, moved to Zambia. Um, and yeah, that was the beginning of my sort of African part of the journey. So I'd always had very close links with the UK because other parts of, of our family are, are here. Um, and 
it was shortly after I'd completed um, hotel school that I came across on a one-month holiday um, across Europe, and I just had a cracking time. It was really, really the best. I can't talk about it because it make the podcast very short. Um, but um, nonetheless, it was a really good trip, and I decided that after that trip that I would like to come back and spend about six months here. So the following year, once I'd saved up the money again, I arrived and with great enthusiasm, I was off to go and see the bulls in Spain. I visited Amsterdam um, for its art and cheese. Um, I then um, also went off to Munich to go to the beer fest, uh, ran out of money and landed up back in London, unable to really get back home. So I thought I'd better get a job. And I managed to get a job in a very good hotel as a night manager. Um, Five-star hotel, central London. And let me tell you, night managers should write movie scripts because, boy, oh, boy, we've seen it all. We've heard it all. Um, but, you know, next thing, because of the job, I was able to afford a decent apartment. Um, and so, you know, I rented a better apartment. And so the story continued. Uh Married, children, etc. Uh, you know, now at chapter nine, um, yeah, and just enjoying enjoying the run. Good. I'm going to come back to your your um, consultancy because I, I know you've been doing that since 2004. But let's dig into your first photograph. Um, it's I'll describe it briefly. It looks like what may be the Grand Canyon, but it's it's too small to be the Grand Canyon. So I suspect that it's some someplace else. Uh, but please tell me about it. Yeah, so it possibly looks like the Grand Canyon at a first glance, but what you can see in the picture is that there is no other side to the canyon. So the Grand Canyon, of course, is it's got two sides because the river runs through the middle of it. Uh, if you have a look at this one, it is actually just one side. It is a place called, um, officially called the End of the World, um, and it is about 40 miles southeast of Riyadh in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, and why I chose that particular picture is because I frequently remind myself just how fortunate I have been in my career to have traveled so extensively. Um, when this picture was taken, getting into Riyadh at that, or getting into Saudi at that time, was incredibly difficult. Uh, you had to have a very good reason to go. Um, in fact, at, on one particular occasion, I had to resort to the um, support of the British Embassy to basically invite me into um, the kingdom um, so I could get in. So Although we all knew that the Kingdom of Saudi was there and we knew where it was on the map, we didn't really know much about it. It wasn't open for tourism. Um, and I found my visits there absolutely fascinating and I really enjoyed them. Um, I enjoyed them from understanding the, the cultural differences, the historical, the natural history. Um, it was something quite spectacular. Um, and of course, doing business in um, cities like Riyadh, you have to understand how that business culture operates. Um, you don't just walk in, sit down, shake hands and start talking business. Oh, no, no, no. You have to go through an entire personal introduction to develop that bond, that relationship, feel at ease with each other. And I think that's that's really great. Um, of course, you've got to 
keep in mind, you know, how much time you're spending on that. But I think that that sort of personal connection can very easily be lost in business. I think in the last year where we've um, all done business through screens, um, that personal touch um, is not there. And it, in terms of building reassurance and trust and providing credibility, that connection and that interpersonal um, uh, connection is, is, is really important. And I found particularly in Saudi how that personal aspect really was, was there. Time was taken um, willingly to get to know you, to see if I can trust doing business with you, if I want to do business with you. And I think some really honest, good, proper relationships were were formed. Um, there were, of course, you know, interesting, very interesting um, situations. I am on one particular assignment. I was consulting to a spa, um, and as we all know, spas are also very much part of the perishable inventory um, industry. You, the spa is only open for so many hours a day. And if you don't fill all your spa treatment slots in that time, you can't sell yesterday's unsold spa slots today. Once they're gone, they're gone. Um, but this particular spa was an all ladies spa. And of course, in Saudi, to have a gentleman in the building uh, would be an absolute no-no. So throughout my entire time of consulting with them, um, never once was I allowed back of house. I couldn't arrive by the front door. In fact, I couldn't really arrive being seen at all. Um, and I would be brought in um, by the loading bay um, at the back um, and had to do everything from back of house to to you know help them with their business. And it's quite difficult being in the building, trying to understand exactly what it is that they're dealing with if they won't let you into the main part of the building. Um, but it's, it's um, again, it just sort of highlighted to me just how different um, cultures, business practices are around the world and how important it is to realize at the end of the day, business is about people doing business with each other. Um, and that people aspect, we must not lose um, at all. You, you have cu customers all over the world. Uh, you started your consultancy back in 2004. Um, and you don't only consult for hotels, you consult in different travel verticals as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, so um, when I, so my formal training was obviously in hotels, and I had grown up, as I said, you know, traveling around with my mother, visiting all these hotels. Uh, so it was very much hotels, and I'd been working in a you know, large global chain for a number of years. Um, so when I started consulting, it just was natural that I would venture into, into hotels. Um, the area that I had been looking, well, I was head of revenue management for um, all brands of this large um, global chain um, across Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So, you know, I travel extensively in that, in that area. Um, and my intention was to really stay focused on that area because that's where I had my network. That's where I knew people. That's where I understood things like business practices and cultures and stuff like that. But, um, you know, if somebody rings you up one day and says, um, yes, we've got a resort company and we'd like you to come and um, help us with something. Um, and I say, well, yes, that's great. And I say, where are you based? And they say, well, we're in Honolulu. Um, guess what? My rule of deciding to stay just in Africa, Europe, Middle East and Africa, that suddenly can be rewritten. And whoops, I'm off to Honolulu. Um, and if one takes that same approach all the way through, I have now pretty much 
been working with, whether it's the Amazon rainforest, um, tropical Southeast Asia, um, some forbidden countries. Um, really, it's been a fascinating journey of, of uh, discovery. Well, uh, talking about interesting and intriguing, um, looking at your second photograph, it's uh, very intriguing. It shows a plastic bucket containing four baby bottles. Um, but I think that the the milk in those bottles is not intended for human consumption or wasn't intended for human consumption. Uh, can you explain? No, and you're quite, you're quite it, correct. It's not intended for for human consumption and no human uh, consumed them. Um, that particular picture is my hand carrying a bucket um, of milk to go and feed two very recently orphaned baby rhinos um, whose mother had been shot by poachers um, which would have been absolutely traumatic for these uh, two baby calves to have witnessed. Um, her horn would have been hacked out of her head um, and her carcass just left. And these two calves had obviously run off into the night. Um, they got separated um, and obviously very distraught. When the mother's carcass was found the following morning, efforts were undertaken to find these two calves and they were brought back together, re reunited. Um, and I had the opportunity to actually go and do the feeding, um, which was quite an exceptional um, and also somewhat emotional um, experience um, to have, to you know, have some small, tiny role in bringing these majestic animals um, back into life and, and, and back into the world, because most certainly they wouldn't have lasted uh, more than a couple more days without their mother's support and food and protection. Um, so yeah, that's um, a very poignant and also very African photo. Well, let's move on to your third photo. Um, it's a picture of you standing under a sign saying, congratulations, you've reached the top. I, I suspect that this is in Africa again, uh, being a, a boy of Africa, uh, that this, uh, is likely to be Kenya or Kilimanjaro. So, yeah, please tell us what uh, what's happening in, in this picture. Uh, yes, that uh, is me um, standing with Samuel um, on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, a place called Uhuru Peak. Um, it had taken me four days to get there, and it took me another two days to get down. Um, so, although not physically difficult in that there's no sort of real climbing per se um, the way you have to adjust your body to the oxygen levels is uh, really quite uh, quite interesting um, Samuel's grandfather so the, the chap who I'm standing next to his grandfather was um, the um, it was on the party that had the very first summit uh, successful summit of Mount Kilimanjaro um, and as my mother had spent her growing years growing up on the slopes of Kilimanjaro, I had grown up hearing all about these stories about this great mountain. And this mountain appeared in all of the photographs. And I decided after the death of my grandfather that I would actually go up to the top and uh, have a peek inside the, uh, the crater, something that he had never had the opportunity uh, to see himself. So quite a personal trip. Um, but I also, you know, I included the picture as well, really, it's just as a message to, to all of us out there that, you know, throughout our lives, we, we should strive to be the best at whatever it is that we choose to be. And, you know, if we choose to be a bus driver, that's fine, but be the very best bus driver. 
um, and you know, get to the top of the bus driving world. That's what counts. It doesn't matter what you choose to do, but be the best. Um, you've, you've clearly been to some amazing places. Is there anywhere in the world that you haven't been to yet that you want to visit? Yes, I would like to visit Madagascar. I haven't been to Madagascar. Um, it looks really quite fascinating. If you watch the movie Madagascar, it also looks like a really fun place too. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I would like to uh, see Madagascar. It, it's one of the areas that um, hasn't really been touched, stroke, ruined by tourism um, yet, but it is it is already starting to to open up, um, and I would like to see it in its um, sort of still. Uh, somewhat pristine state that it is at the moment. Um, it is a large island, um, but it's not an island that features. We don't hear about it politically. We don't really hear about it economically. Um, certainly on the tourism side, we hear very little of it. Um, yeah, I think it would be an interesting place to, you know, pop on a backpack and head off out there. Fantastic. Yeah, good. Well, we're running out of time. So thank you very much for sharing your wonderful insights and memories with us, Duncan. Um, it's been a, a real pleasure having you on the show. But before we wrap up, I know you've brought a souvenir with you. Uh, so please, please describe the souvenir and, and what it means to you. So it's a, um, it's actually a um, artist's, um, it's a metallic urn which is filled on the inside with much smaller containers, which um, had artist's ink. And um, I bought it, um, actually also in the Middle East, I bought it in um, Egypt from an artist, an old man, who um, I had watched him doing some artworks um, and actually then landed up sitting and chatting to him. And he was an old chap. Um, and I was really drawn by, uh, excuse the pun, really drawn by, you know, what he was actually creating. Um, and he had one of these, um, it's really just, I suppose, a, a, a carrying case of all of his different inks. Um, and he let me buy one from him. It's a beautifully um, engraved, it's quite sort of crude, so it's definitely a hand engraved um, uh, piece of work. Um, sits next to my fireplace at home and it gives me some very fond memories of a wonderful conversation with an old man in Egypt. Lovely, lovely. Duncan, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Um, and all that remains for me to say is thank you very much for sharing your photographs and memories. Thank you very much, Michael. Enjoyed being here. Wonderful. Thank you. Photographs and Memories, sponsored by Atomize, produced by Haynes Marcoms as a Travel Market Life series. For more, visit travelmarket.life.